World War II. It's known as the greatest generation. And these are their stories. It's the World War II Project. This is the AmeriChicks with your host, Kim Munson. Welcome to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. And I am the AmeriChicks on Facebook and Twitter as well. All of these stories are there on my website. Uh, this, this whole project precipitated from a trip that I took in 2016 with a team with the Denver Police Activities League that took four D-Day veterans back to Normandy for the D-Day celebration and returned to America realizing that we need to hear these stories. Each story is individual. Each story is is special. And uh, so very pleased to have on the line with me right now, Dean Ladd. Uh, Dean, welcome to the AmeriChicks World War II Project. Hello. So this is pretty amazing. Uh, you are... My understanding, Dean, is you are the oldest living Marine in in America today. No, not exactly right. I'm the oldest retired Marine in the nation. Okay. At age 98. The oldest retired Marine. At yeah, age... that's the key, because there are other Marines that could be older. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm retired. Okay, I'm going to say we are talking to the oldest retired Marine in America today, right. Dean Ladd. And Dean, you were born in Spokane, Washington, right? Yes. And uh, tell us a little bit. You enlisted in the Marine Corps when? Uh, 1939, when the Marine Corps was only 20,000. Okay, and uh, did you... you I'm sorry, uh, 39. Did I say 39? Yeah, you said 39. And when were you called into active duty? A year later, 1940, November 1940. So that was uh, over a year before the beginning of World War II for the United States. Right, because Pearl Harbor was bombed in 1941, uh, so where right. where were you when you heard that Pearl Harbor had been bombed? I was in San Diego on active duty, and at the beginning of five years active duty, I just I had just gone through a sniper's uh, school, scout snipers. Okay, were you in San Diego? Were you surprised when you heard that the Japanese had attacked uh, no, Pearl Harbor? No, we knew that it was impending. It was just a matter of time. What went through your mind when you heard that it had actually happened? Well, things happened so fast. Immediately, uh, we were all called back from any kind of other activities back to our main base and immediately sent out to various locations anticipating an aerial attack or even a landing. Okay, where were you? Things were crazy about for that first next week or two. And where were you? San Diego area. Where were you sent? Uh, I, I, my unit was uh, preparing, was loading ships on the USS Lurling. Uh, they had just come back with uh, with uh, uh, civilians from uh, Honolulu. So we immediately, as soon as they got off, we we, uh, we started boarding our equipment and headed to places unknown until a week or so later uh, we, we landed at... Uh, in Pango Pango, American Samoa, to uh, defend that beach against the Japanese, because we thought, we knew that that would be about the next place that they would attempt to take to uh, block our movement of shipping towards uh, uh, New Zealand and Australia. So did you incur uh, battles there on American Samoa? Did, did you uh, were you did you engage the Japanese there? Or? Oh no 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 we had no. Okay now what what happened that about a week a week and a half or so after we took off from San Diego and we pulled into Pango Pango Harbor. Well, the night uh, a day or two before a Japanese submarine had shelled the harbor. So then, what happened from there, Dean Lad? What happened to the what? What happened after that? Well, okay, we uh, dispersed uh, to various beaches throughout the uh, throughout the island of Tuluila, and uh, I ended up. I was a I was a corporal at the time, a machine gun squad leader, and we had a uh, real real beautiful beach. We defended about a couple hundred miles long, 
a remote location. So we were defending those beaches that the Japanese could make a landing on. Okay. Okay. And how long were you there doing that? Uh, we were there for about eight months, okay. uh, left in, uh, in October. We, we arrived in, in uh, mid-January and were there until, until mid-October. Okay. And then what happened after that, Dean? Then Ladd? after that, we, uh, we were shipped out and uh, landed on Guadalcanal, and the fighting had been going on there for three months. And so uh, we, uh, we were there for the next three months of combat. So did you relieve the troops that had been there for three months? No, no, we didn't. We just augmented them. Okay. Uh, the first Marine Division uh, had landed, and, and, and which included uh, uh, one of our regiments in the initial landing in August. And so we just uh, uh, joined our other regiment of our 2nd Division uh, for the remaining three months until, until the Japanese were forced off. Okay, so Dean Ladd, Guadalcanal, um, you know, was one of the early battles in World War II. Tell us about the bat. Tell us about your time there. What you know, what happened well, during those most, three months? Uh, uh, the most spectacular, I would say, was uh, we were uh, holding a ridge in our foxholes, and mid mid November of nineteen forty two. There was a major, major naval battle in Guadalcanal. Many of our ships and their ships were sunk. Mm-hmm. And it happened at, 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 uh, at the middle of the night. And we just watched these red-hot shells going back and forth. And one of the ships went down with the one with the, the five Sullivan brothers. So, uh, so you watched that battle. Uh... Yeah, we watched it from uh, this, this ridge uh, location on the island of, of Guadalcanal. And it was probably about uh, 15 miles off in the distance from us, maybe 10 miles. <clears throat> you know, Dean Ladd, we're talking with Dean Ladd, World War II veteran. He's 98 years old. And, uh, I mean, an amazing story. Watching that battle of Guadalcanal, what, what, what were you feeling? Can you remember what you were feeling at that time? Well, I, my thought was... How could they tell friend from foe? They could not. There was, it was strictly uh, just a mix of ships with no uh, uh, no uh, intelligent maneuver at all. They were just milling around and until all of a sudden realized, hey, that's an enemy ship, and they started shooting. Wow. We lost. There was about an equal number of ships lost uh, between uh, between U.S. and Japan. But that's, w- a, that's a naval, the naval battle of Guadalcanal, mid-November, 1942. But it was a really important battle, wasn't it, for America, even though... That was a, that was a turning point. Uh, the, the, turning before, the turning point before that was the, uh, was the Battle of Midway. Right. And when, when, that, when the Battle of Midway happened, it was just a, it was just a happenstance. We could just as well have lost that one. And it was just a matter that the Japanese admiral... Uh, made a decision whether to arm uh, one way versus another, and he, he, he made the wrong choice. Right, and then several so of... We, we, uh, so we, uh, we blocked him at that point, and because of that, we were able to leave uh, uh, Samoa and turn it over to the uh, natives, who, were, who uh, many were, <clears throat> were made Marines, to defend their homeland. Okay. And, and it's important to note that at the Battle of Midway, several of the Japanese aircraft carriers were sunk, which was a pretty amazing thing. They lost, they lost a, a major part of their, uh, of their aircraft. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. So what else would you like to tell us, Dean Ladd, about the Battle of Guadalcanal? Well, I had, uh, my, in my own, my own case, I had two near, near-death experiences. The first one... Uh, we were uh, on a, an effective combat patrol, and a, uh, uh, there was a Japanese sniper in a tree shooting at us just haphazardly, not really hitting anybody until until there's uh, one young lieutenant came up. Now, what are you guys afraid of? And about that time, he got winged, he got winged in the arm by the uh, by the sniper, and I saw about where it came from. I lay down in the top in the high grass, uh, schoonite grass, 
And I was looking at it through my field glass. My field glass. I was a yeah, new second lieutenant at the time, a rifle platoon leader. And uh, he spotted me at the same time I spotted him. He shot at me and knocked dirty in my face. And uh, now I emptied my my uh, <coughs> Springfield rifle that I carried just in case it should be sniper. And I killed him before he could fire any more at me. But that was a very close call. And the other, other very close call was uh, I was leading my rifle platoon up, up, uh, up to a, a, a Japanese position on a ridge above us. And we could not see where the fighting, where the firing was coming from until, uh, until the one to the, my man to my right almost could almost touch him. Uh, he got shot, uh, shot in the neck, killed instantly. And the, and the corporal squad leader was on my on my left, and a rifle bullet went through the magazine of his rifle, and they all dropped out. And he made a statement, "I'll be a dirty name." He never swore, but "I'll be a dirty name." Well, anyway, that's how close I came from getting killed right there, too. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing story. Um, let's let's move on from from Guadalcanal. Where did you go once you got off of uh, got got off of there? We went to New Zealand in February, and we were there until October. And there we uh, we, we got replacement uh, training and rest. And uh, <clears throat> New Zealanders were so happy for us to be there. They had they had no no way of defending themselves at all. Uh, Japanese could have come any time. Uh, there were young men were all fighting in North Africa. So anyway, uh, we were there until uh, uh, mid-November. And when we left, uh, we thought we were just going under another training exercise. But no, we were headed toward the Gilbert Islands, a uh, place called Tarawa. And uh, I was uh, leading my platoon to the beach. We got grounded on the reef because the uh, the uh, tide was lower than we had hoped for, and so we got hung up on the reef. Had to wade 600 yards. Oh my gosh! Waste deep water sometimes even over your head to get to the beach. In the meantime, many many machine guns shooting at us. In my case, probably there's three or four shooting at where I was. And I got uh, I got shot through the uh, through the abdomen, went through my bladder, and uh, exited uh, through my my sacrum, uh, and missed my uh, spinal nerve by one quarter of an inch. One of my men grabbed onto me, dragged me over the landing boat, dragged me about a hundred yards further away uh, along the reef, and and I was loaded on a on a uh, a landing boat, floating type, and was, uh, along with about 15 others that were wounded, went back to the same troop transport that we were on. I was operated on within an hour from the time I was hit, and lo and behold, the surgeon had been an abdominal specialist at Mayo Clinic. Otherwise, I would never have survived. Wow, what what a story! Isn't that incredible? You will never, you'll probably never, never uh, meet anybody that was wounded like that and survived. That is absolutely astounding. Then he was operating on a on a sailor in the naval at the Farragut Naval Training Station in Idaho. uh, A year later, and he was about fifty five years old, and uh, he dropped dead of a heart attack during the operation. Wow! The surgeon did. Wow! Yeah, he probably he'd gone through a lot. I'm sure. Isn't that incredible? That that is and one truly... thing I should mention. That when I joined the organized reserve in Spokane, there was a battalion, three three infantry companies, and uh, as I say, there were only twenty thousand in the Marine Corps at that time. But then the Marine Corps grew to a half million by the time the war was over. That's astounding as well. So I, I grew up in the Marine Corps, and uh, the Marine Corps expanded, of course, during that same time. Yeah, they, so the Marine Corps kind of grew up with you, I think, as well. How long of a re- recuperation did you have from that? Uh, uh, I, was, I, was in, I was recuperating. I was in the hospital for a month, then I was, uh, I was on light duty 
for another month and a half. However, I was sent back to my unit, uh, back to duty, after being in the hospital for one month. I know some of the other nurses were real unhappy about that. They didn't think that people like me should go back so early, but they were so short of uh, young young uh, two leaders. They were just, you know, the thing was, uh, like myself, uh, many, of them, many of them were uh, uh, former non-commissioned officers. I was just a corporal, and I had one year of college, so that was a big advantage. But uh, uh, the young officers were just so short, and you could not train them fast enough. Yeah, but yet you had to go into, into battle. Would you say that the Japanese were more seasoned warriors than you young kids? That yeah, were they were. Uh, you see, they, they had been fighting in China. And they had come down into the uh, Dutch East Indies, turned down to Singapore, and uh, yes, they they had uh, they had they had, had combat experience. Mm-hmm. And I would say this for them: they were very they were very capable. Uh, they they were trained especially to fight at night, and they could find gaps in your in your line and infiltrate. Uh, and if they and they would if you could never capture them, they'd always kill themselves for. As a rule, with a hand grenade uh, held over there, held over his chest. Wow. Just very quickly, we have just a little bit of time regarding uh, Tarawa. Actually, maybe uh, I think what we'll do, Dean Ladd, is let's go to break and we'll come back because uh, we have a mutual friend, and that is Clay Bonnyman Evans, who is the grandson, yes, uh, the grandson yes. of uh, um, Sandy uh, Bonnyman, yeah. who was killed uh, we'll on Tarawa. Talk about what happened when we get back. Okay, that sounds great. So this is Kim Munson with the Americhicks World War II Project. I am talking with Dean Ladd. He is the old oldest retired Marine in America at the age of 98. He is sharing his stories of uh, his service in the South Pacific during World War II. We'll be right back. Before, and I also want to mention his book, Faithful Warriors. Uh, I'm sure that that is an amazing book. I'm going to get it because... um, Published uh, by the Naval Institute Press. Is what, Dean? Published by the Naval Institute Press. Okay, published by out the... Of, out of Annapolis. The Naval Institute Press. Uh, so definitely I will be adding that to the AmeriChicks reading and list it as be, well. And it's available uh, through uh, Amazon. Okay, yeah, so... Probably a two-day delivery. So it's easy get, to... Uh, get them, uh, buy one that is used okay. at half price. Okay, well, that's Faithful Warriors, the book that Dean Ladd, World War II veteran, has written. We're, and we're on the line with him. We're going to go to break. Uh, and before we do that, though, I want to give a shout-out to one of my great partners, and that is uh, Hooters Restaurants. They are my sports headquarters. Um, I, I love the sports, and uh, spring training is, is in full force, and we're going to be getting into baseball season. So Hooters is the place to watch the games, and they have specials that start at $10 for a draft and 10 boneless wings. And Hooters Wings can fly. You can have them delivered right to your front doorstep. Uh, when all my buddies come over on Wednesday nights, I order Hooters new smoked wings. They're delicious and only half the calories. The girls love them. So order your Hooters wings to go or have them delivered right to your front door. More information, um, visit HootersColorado.com. That's Hooters. Colorado.com and let them know that you know the AmeriChicks. This is Kim Munson and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. That is where I am on Facebook and Twitter as well. And all of these amazing stories are archived there on my website. Have on the line with me right now, Dean Ladd. He is the oldest retired Marine in America at the age of 98. Uh, He talked about his experiences regarding uh, fighting at Guadalcanal and also Tarawa. But we have a mutual friend, and that is Clay Bonneman Evans. He is the grandson of Sandy Bonneman, who uh, fought and and was killed there on Tarawa. So tell us a little bit about what happened there, Dean Ladd. Well, uh, uh, Bonneman uh, was killed on top of a uh, main main control um, structure for the Admiral. Uh, operated on it, and they were no. Actually, you know, it was for the uh, for the uh, motor generator ship that supplied the power to the uh, to the island. Anyway, he was up the top on the top of it, and uh, they were uh, throwing grenades down through openings and whatnot. And then he was killed on top, and uh, uh, his body was uh, buried along with with uh, hundreds hundreds of others, just in a trench because uh, they had to get him buried. Before, 
and so that uh, an airport or an airstrip could be uh, could be scooped out, so we have planes flying out of there within a within a few days after the after the battle. So um, I uh, I met uh, I met Clay's daughter one time in Hawaii, and then I've been on the phone a number of times with with his with uh, his grandson Clay out of Denver also. You know, it's interesting that I've been I've been there now four times, uh, to Tarawa and uh, involved in the repatriation of the uh, of the of the of the ones that were killed. And uh, we all we knew about where uh, where Bonnie was buried, buried, but just couldn't couldn't exactly find it until until this last few months. Well, and that is another great book to read, and that is Bones of My Grandfather by Clay Bonham and Evans. It is a fabulous read as well. So, But uh, let's get focused back here on you, Dean Ladd. Uh, you have finished the Battle of Tarawa. You've been injured, and uh, you're, you're only basically had about two and a half months of recuperation, and then you're back right. on active duty. Take it right. from there. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> we were uh, recovered on... Uh, uh, in Honolulu at uh, Pearl Harbor Naval, Naval Base Hospital, and uh, rejoined my unit uh, training. Uh, we were encamped at uh, Camuela on the Big Island of Hawaii, and uh, mid-June we uh, we landed on uh, took off and landed on Saipan. Uh, it was one week after the Normandy landing in Europe. Uh, where there were this, in this case, there were uh, two Marine divisions, one Army division. Uh, it was fighting the last and, uh, better part of, of a month, and uh, I had uh, I had one very close call. Uh, we uh, were near the top of the uh, of the main mountain there on on Saipan called Mount Tapachal. we just just below it, and we were heading. We 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 had climbed up. Where they were looking down our field, and for now we're at the point where we're looking down at them. And about that time, our own artillery, three rounds of 155 millimeter size artillery, came right on top of us. And right on top of where our battalion was, we're just getting ready to move down towards the uh, Canopy Harbor area. And one of these rounds, hit a tree that I happened to be under. There weren't many trees of this size, but I just happened to be under that tree. One of those three rounds hit the top of the tree, and and uh, and all the fragments flew off in every direction rather than being directed down to the ground. If it hit the ground, I would have been pulverized. That's what did happen to many of my friends that were pulverized by those by those same rounds coming in. Wow, you have now, uh... the other. The other big thing is uh, shortly. Well, it was about two weeks later, a little less. Uh, the Japanese staged the largest counterattack of the war of Banzai, and they just kept coming until four thousand were killed. And also, they they also uh, actually we lost seven hundred of our men too, mostly the army. Uh, and some of our uh, main artillery supporting them, and so here I uh, uh, I got I got some shrapnel through my uh, right elbow, just a special uh, wound, and uh, spent just three days in the hospital with that. And then they they said when when that bonsai attack started, all walking wounded were sent back up to the front, which included me. So we. Our big job was to 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 uh, uh, to uh, wipe out what whatever resistance there still was, and we were probably each company killed maybe a hundred or so, and we had almost no casualties at all. They were just hiding or maybe down there at shelter. So, but then then we had to bury four thousand enemy bodies, and there was a, uh, a bulldozer in a trench, and it just just dragged all these bodies in there. Now, today, there are homes and roads all over that area. Not only that, there are fancy Japanese uh, uh, resort hotels on the beach right nearby. Now, I had a very close call. Uh, my arm was in a sling. I went back to the aid station alone, 
to get it redressed. And I walked right through where 40 more were killed that night. I walked right through the whole bunch, and they didn't, they didn't want to give away their location. Otherwise, they would have, would have killed me. But they wanted, they wanted to keep uh, that quiet that they were there. And so they, and they so made another semi-small uh, bonsai attack, and 40 were killed. Well, as I had walked through, I saw three hiding under a bush, and they had hand grenades in their, in their hands. They were about ready either throw one at me or probably kill themselves. And so I, I shot the three and it got back, and, and, uh, and then I found out later that there was a Japanese officer in charge that uh, was urging him on. Our, our paths had crossed. This officer and mine had crossed at that point. I found that out, and I visited him in Japan in, in, in 1985. Yes, he was there, and uh, we became close friends. Oh, my gosh, Dean Ladd. That is an amazing, yeah. an amazing, amazing story. Yeah. So uh, this is probably a hard question to ask you, but to have to bury 4,000 of the enemy what went through your mind at that time, or is it just something that you just did? I know, to, to, to make it even worse, can you imagine? Our own artillery fire was was dropped in on, on them as they were making their bonsai attack. So their bodies were all chewed up mm. by artillery. Mm. Bits and pieces of body all over the place. Yeah, that's pretty. Now, now, then imagine that. We were busy doing that for a better part of the day. And then imagine having a uh, having a MRI, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> a type of food that we had at that time, with flies they were placed, maggots they were all over the place, and begin to smell bad and all that. Yeah. So you can just imagine the environment of that. You know, I have now, had you really. Now, look at my book. You'll see a picture of those bodies being buried. What about our guys? Um, again, you probably couldn't do individual graves like with Bonneman over on uh, Tarawa. You, uh, trenches were dug, but were, there were relatively good records that were kept of the American soldiers as they were buried, yes or no? Yeah, they, yes, I, I suppose, yes, they were. The bodies were all removed, and they did proper, proper burial back temporarily uh, at the uh, big cemetery in Saipan, and eventually moved home or if they didn't. If they couldn't locate the at home, they they were buried in 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 Honolulu at the punch bowl. Okay, okay. Now, did you get purple hearts for these injuries? Uh, yeah, yeah, I had uh, perp- I had uh, two two per- formal purple hearts, and I was wounded by my a little bit of shrapnel by one of my own mortars. But anyway, uh, yeah. Okay. But the, the the main one was in Tarawa, where it was almost okay. almost died. Yeah. If it wasn't for the fact that you had a, a specialist of with abdomen, unbelievable. Yeah, that is. You know, uh, you know the odds. Just think of the odds against that being the case. Yeah, you <laughs> know, there were only there was only one or two surgeons aboard that ship, and you know, and I was sent to, I was went back to the same ship that I we, we went there on, and here one of the two surgeons was was a dental specialist. Yeah, it is unbelievable. It's, Otherwise, I would have been triaged out. Right. You know, why waste time? Somebody's going to die anyway. Right. Yeah, because they did have to make those life and death decisions, didn't they? I, yeah, I, it was. And he decided, well, okay, we can do something about this. And what he did, he had to punch up, punch up my bladder, and had to remove about uh, a foot or two of of intestine and rehook it up. And then I didn't even have to wear a bag afterwards. And you were back in combat in two and a half months. I was back in combat, uh, back in my active duty, and in a matter of over, well, over about two and a half months. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just um, unbelievable. Okay. Well, is, what else? So that was what happened at the Battle of Tarawa. Uh, is there anything else that you want to mention regarding uh, Saipan? <clears throat> well. That's about it on Saipan. Uh, then we went to we went to uh, Tinian, landed there uh, uh, a week or two later after after Saipan was secured, 
we landed uh, on a small, on a two hundred two hundred yard wide beach. Deputies didn't think we land there. There was a small cliff. They had to use ladders to get up, and uh, it was right pretty close to where we landed. It's where eventually the Anoa was loaded with the uh, atomic bomb. <laughs> and then uh, we made the sweep right on down the whole length south uh, to the southern end of Kenyon. And we had the not last night uh, the Japanese found a major gap in our in our lines and got behind us. And they were among us all over that night. Uh, my radio man was uh, shared a fossil with me. He was killed. And the company commander of the Jason Company, a high school friend of mine, uh, he, his fossil was right next to mine. But, and and uh, uh, his radio man was killed. And uh, and then that night, well, anyway, we, we survived that, hor- that horrible night. It was a... It was just a very uh, disturbing night. The Japanese all around you. What's going to happen next? So uh, then the next night, we held a line uh, look down, looking over the cliff into the ocean. And uh, here we were, strung out just so thinly, and the Japanese could come through anyway. We had to figure out, well, where is the most likely place they're going to come through? Well, they came through, and well, we, we guessed right, and so we survived. We didn't. Without without many many casualties, and then we we tried to get them to surrender and they wouldn't. And we fired machine guns or mortars at them, and they all just jumped off of the cliff and all drowned. And then off way down, about about three or four hundred further to my right, a lot of Japanese civilians suicide the same manner. And there's a place called Suicide Cliff also there. You know, um, I've talked to some other Marines that were there as well, and. My understanding is is that uh, we, the United States, was trying different ways to tell the the civilians to to not jump. That, but the Japanese had had brainwashed them basically that that the United yeah. States soldiers were evil. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was very even difficult to get them to come out of the cave. Now they did the same thing on Saipan, and they jumped off. Civilians jumped off of the suicide cliff by the hundreds. And and all all of the uh, remaining Japanese, almost almost all of them, uh, all all jumped off of the off of the cliff down lower, uh, off place called Banzai Cliff. Now there are there are some memorials. There's a, two memorials there uh, in that same location on Saipan. Uh, money raised through the through the children in Japan uh, for these monuments. One is a mother mourning over her over her. Uh, her sons killed in the South Pacific, and another one facing that cliff, mourning the children that were carried to the death of their parents. Now, how old were you, would you say, Dean, when when all this occurred? Let's see. You were born in well, 1920, yeah, so you were probably uh, about 24? I was 24 uh, in 19, at the end of uh, in December of 1945. That's a pretty. That's a pretty tough thing for a young man to see. Um, when you think of the responsibility of somebody in their early twenties, that's a life or death situation for many other people's lives. It's, it's, it's you know, and you have to, and a lot of things you're up against. You think you've been trained for, but as an example, I was as a light duty on 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 Hawaii. I was combat loading officer. Oh, and okay. I went to a school to to determine, uh, you know, what, what certain items would be would be loaded. All right, but then when it came to actually loading, uh, people all got, "Where's this go? Where's that go?" Well, somebody usually had a, oh, yeah, I don't know. And so I talked to I talked to the major that was in charge of it all. I reported to it, and I said, "I don't." I said, "Look, just act like you do, and just say yes or no." <laughs> yeah. That was a good lesson learned. Okay, well, for sure. Hey, Dean, yeah. Dean Ladd, uh, World War II veteran. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we will hear the, have our final segment. I uh, can't wait to hear additional uh, stories of your experience in World War II. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the AmeriChicks World War II Project with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com, and that is where I am on Facebook and Twitter as well. 
Uh, just really honored to have on the line with me right now, Dean Ladd. He is the oldest retired Marine in America today, uh, and he is 98 years old. We're talking about his experience in the South Pacific. He's, he fought at the Battle of Guadalcanal. He fought at the Battle of Tarawa. He fought at Saipan and Tinian. And Dean uh, Ladd, one of the things interesting about your story is you were uh, issued a field commission. So tell us what happened about that. Uh, Yes. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the Marine Corps started out at the beginning of the war. But when I joined in in April of uh, of 39, only about 20,000, and it grew to... A half million. So they had a real problem of manning, especially for officers. Again, you couldn't train enough officers that fast. So they had to uh, make a gift, provide uh, a field commission to uh, non-commissioned officers. Now, most of them were were sergeants and above. I was a few corporals. I was a corporal with machine gun squad leader. And uh, I had an advantage in that uh, when I was called when I was called up, I had one year of ROTC with a Army engineer, so that was a big plus for me. So anyway, uh, I, I came down about a month or two after landing on Samoa. Uh, I, I had a, had a bad case of uh, I got sick with with uh, <clears throat> a bowel movement all works. So anyway, then after I recovered from that, I was selected to go to a special course that was was um, utilizing machine guns. And it was also, though, uh, ones that also that graduated would also be would be commissioned. So maybe half of them or so that went through were commissioned, which was me also. So uh, we didn't have any uh, any second lieutenant uh, to uh, <laughs> patch on, so I had one made. So I made one at the at the at the, uh, the air group there on the, on the Samoa. So anyway, uh, I uh, I was a ship uh, when we shipped out then right away to very shortly to uh, Guadalcanal. I, I was an extra officer in the company in the company headquarters, and one of the others in the company headquarters uh, by the way is Barney Ross, famous boxer champion, and so. Uh, when we got to uh, Guadalcanal, it wasn't long until I was uh, I was a uh, in command of a uh, of a rifle rifle platoon. So that that is uh, getting a field commission. And then uh, when I uh, let's see when when we landed at at, at uh, Charlo, I was the first lieutenant. And uh, when I got back to the states, as a Quantico, back back at Quantico, went through as a captain. And they, through the uh, officer's candidate school, and then it stayed on as on a staff as a uh, staff company commander for two terms. And then, and then when, the, when the war was over uh, and like the bomb was dropped, uh, I was company commander at the basic school. Had one platoon of Naval Academy graduates, second lieutenant, and one platoon of senior NCOs. And when the bomb dropped, uh, everything ceased. Uh, the NCOs, none of them wanted to become second lieutenants. Okay. The, the uh, second lieutenants, uh, a few went on probably, and even probably even could have been become generals, and would probably were involved in in uh, Korea as well. Okay. Okay. Um, About it. So let's talk a little bit. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? You know any of those battles before uh, you know the bomb was dropped? Did you anticipate that you might have to go to uh, on Okinawa, or um, where were you regarding that? No, okay. When I was uh, when I was at Guanaco, the next big thing was going to happen was going to be the landing on Japan itself, and that's what would have happened if the bomb had dropped. We would have we would have lost we would have lost tens or hundreds of thousands of men. If that hadn't happened, so you think it's a good idea that the bomb was dropped? That's what a surprise that was, and and uh, things just immediately, everything just immediately came to a halt. Does that happen? It's just unbelievable. 
So then I, about that time, just before the bomb was dropped, I was uh, offered a regular commission. I did sign the papers. Then I got three days later, I got to think, you know, you know, I only have one year of college. It's a handicap. I don't want to, I don't want that. And who knows? It's a good thing I didn't because that's what I ended up really got killed either in, <laughs> in uh, Korea or later on in Vietnam, even perhaps, you know. Wow. So uh, I decided, well, I'll stay in the reserve and, and you know, until retirement. And boy, and I'm glad I did because the uh, it's a health benefits alone. So I care for life. Yeah, well. Eventually, when that happened, it was just, what a, what a benefit, I tell you. Yeah. Um, so you remained on active duty, as you mentioned, in the Marine Reserve. I, I, yeah, Marine active duty. No, not no. I was active duty for, for five five years before and during World War II, and I stayed I stayed active in the reserve on active duty for training and and uh, correspondence work and and uh, various various different things like that. Okay. Okay. Got it. Let's talk a yeah. little bit about after the war. Now uh, you were married for a long time, right, to Vera. So tell yes, us a little yeah, bit we about were Vera. Married in 1949. Yeah, yeah, okay. and married for over, over 60 years. Okay. Now, uh, did you know each other when you uh, were were in the service, or we did knew you meet about our... each other? We were in we were in the same grade in high school. Okay. Okay. And you were married for 60 years. Um, let's go to now. You said that uh, you know there's the book that you had written, Faithful Warriors, and then that there is another book called Faithful Warriors. Then and now, so you have gone back to these battlegrounds. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Dean Ladd. All right, uh, I uh, I'm also retired from uh, Lockheed simultaneously with all that, and uh, since I retired at age sixty, uh, 1990, 1990, and I decided to uh, while I still had my health and and the uh, Desire, I decided to take a uh, non-scheduled trip, revisiting all my campaign sites plus other sites uh, that would last six weeks. And so I had no idea where I was going to be, when, where I was going to stay at night. And usually, I did stay with the the locals. So it was not like a not like a tourist. I even carried a little pup tent with me, and uh, had my snorkel. Uh, for scuba diving and all that, and I met, I say, I met, I visited a total of, of about 15 different islands, including many islands that, where I hadn't thought myself, but uh, as an example, uh, Peleliu was one example, just incredible. What, what was it like the first time that you went back to Tarawa? Now, you made, you made landings at uh, Guadalcanal, Tarawa, and Saipan, is that right? Is that you made it? And Tinian, yeah. Okay. Now, the one, the one on Guadalcanal was not a landing. They were already there. All we did just we just uh, landed three months later and immediately went up to the front. Okay, so two things. What did you think about when, when you've gone back now? You went back to Tarawa several times as well as, I think, Guadalcanal, you said several times. Um, what goes through your mind when you go back to those places? Well, I wanted to be on Tarawa. I wanted to be in the exact location where I was, where I was struck with a machine gun bullet, and I found that spot, of course. And uh, and I interviewed a lot of a lot of the locals, and I and I stayed with them, you know. So I got to know them on the first on a on a real, you know, a, a good kind of a uh, uh, relationship. And how did you communicate? that you would never. I would never have gotten from reading it, you know? Yeah, yeah. How, how did you As communicate? As an example, okay, go ahead. Okay. there is a memorial there where 19 Coast Watchers were beheaded. Were beheaded. They were mostly New Zealanders. And uh, I talked to uh, a, a native uh, Baha'i faith minister. He was there, witnessed it. He told me about it firsthand. Now, later on, I read about that incident, and one of those killed was a British British missionary, and he, he gave his life to save one of the coast watchers. And he, so he was brutally, he was, he was brutally killed. 
And on the website, there's a story about him. I don't remember the name. But anyway, that sort of thing is what you run into. Okay, and let's do talk a little bit about your website right now. You've written the book Faithful Warriors, and you have an extensive uh, website where there's uh, your biography. Yeah, just, uh, Google my name, Dean Ladd, and the uh, second one that is uh, uh, is. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's Dean uh, Ladd. No, that'll, that'll, that'll get you there. It's yeah, fine. it's uh, it's yeah. Uh, the website that I'm looking at. It's the works of Dean Ladd. Dot. Uh, yeah, you'll you have to do that. Let me just take the one that's worth. Yeah, and if and, you just and the first thing that probably the best thing, first thing to go to is uh, select online resource. Okay. What 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 will come up is a uh, two and a half minute movie clip put out by CBS. And it's, it's a Air Force uh, gal, and uh, it's about our repatriation uh, visit there uh, with CBS being with us four days. Okay. And uh, it, it, it includes each of us uh, talk a little bit about ourselves, what we went through, and, uh, and some uh, of the actual combat footage. Okay, and how? What is other, that again? Other things you'll you'll run into there are uh, I've done a lot of writing about other history about medieval, medieval period, about the Civil War, about the Revolutionary War, and all of my writing in most cases are interview approach in the period. I and it love takes it. a journalistic license that you actually are talking to that person, but it's based on on a profile of historical facts. Okay. Now, again, slowly, what is that website, Dean Ladd? It's just uh, Google my name, Okay. Dean Ladd, okay. L-A-D-D. Okay. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to just do that while we're talking. And I'm going to ask you another question. Dean, I mean, this your story is amazing, and... I don't think that we're really teaching this history to our children. When I was over in Normandy, uh, uh-huh. they, the French are still teaching the story of what happened, and World War well, II veterans are. are are just totally, uh, um, you know, you're revered. Uh, did you also find oh, that yeah. over in the South Pacific? Would you say you guys are revered there as well? Um, you know, um, I talked to groups as an example. I talked to a high school group on Tarawa, and uh, they, they, they had a uh, convocation type of thing. They came, they came walking in, in formation and stood before me, and uh, they were so engrossed in a, into it. It's unbelievable. Oh, I think kids yeah, would... Of course, of course, they, you know, uh, the island people, uh, they have this oral history. It just goes from generation to generation. So this has become part of it, of course. Okay. You know, and I think that our kids here in America would be totally mesmerized with with these stories. I know that as people are starting to listen uh, to these on my website, that they I, people thank me that uh, that we're getting uh-huh. these stories because it's so important to know the history. Dean Ladd, what would you say to the young people in America today? All right. The main, the main point is that, that uh, freedom and freedom is not free. It has to be defended to each generation. You sound like President Reagan on that one. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I, I spoke to many, uh, many church groups, not to most, some church groups, but to, to many schools, uh, uh, usually middle school and high school. And uh, I've been, uh, been, to, been at uh, events where it be the whole, the whole Congress, the whole, uh, whole student body, you know? Mm-hmm. And they just eat it up. That's true. Now, I was at three different functions, three different schools uh, on, on Veterans Day. Well, that is, I, and, yeah. yeah, that's pretty popular. And, okay, I am to the site now where it's the works of Dean Ladd, and you can yeah. see the actual footage. Uh-huh. And uh, that is pretty amazing. Um, uh-huh. We're getting near the end of the interview, Dean Ladd. First of all, thank you so much. And you are going to be going uh-huh. to the South Pacific again, right? Yeah, my my health holds out. Yes. And when are you going to do that? It's going to be leaving on the nineteenth uh, and returning on the twenty ninth of March. 
Uh, next month, yeah. Okay. Uh, and we're going to be with the Vet Defense Foundation. Okay. Uh, Donnie Edwards, the same group that you were with, in, uh, I guess. And on Normandy, by the way, I've been to Normandy and I walk way out as far as you can walk. And my brother was, it was with the 1st Division going in as combat engineer. So I just relived just exactly what, what he went through. Do you, it, he was uh, also on the Battle of the Roads. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, and in fact, the other one of the other companies, combat engineer companies, was the one that was murdered at at the, at the uh, Malmedy massacre. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I know it, this is probably a, kind of a weird question. Do you think you know we hear so much about Omaha Beach and how tough it was at Normandy? Do you think, I mean, there were battles over in the the Pacific that were tough like that as well. I mean, can you say one was the worse than the other, or, or they're just all different? Uh, some are more furious than others. Of course, nothing could be worse than terrible, having a lot of machine guns shooting at you as you're, as you're walking in. And uh, you were 600 yards and, off. And yeah. some mortar fire coming at you, of course. But uh, it's, it's hard hard to compare uh, I would say terror is the most is the most intense. Okay, okay, that's that's good to know. We had twenty five out of out of about seven thousand going in. We had twenty five hundred wounded and eleven hundred little or eleven hundred killed. Wow! In a matter of three days, most wow. of it being the first two days. Wow! wow. You imagine that? Yeah. No, I can't. On, on one square mile. Yeah. That is rude. That's tough. So, hey, we have one minute left, Dean Ladd. Last question. When you see the American flag, what goes through your mind? Well, I think the Boy Scouts, for one thing, they have, they have a, fl- a flag. Uh, 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 how do you get rid of the flag? You know, there's mm-hmm. a ceremony you go through to a retire a flag. You think about that. But you, you know, think about. Uh, well, uh, you know, a lot of our ancestors, what they went through, each each generation has had to defend that flag. And, and when you have people just looking at it, it's just another piece of cloth. Well, that's so hard to, that's hard to stomach, isn't it? Right, it really is, because uh, there's a lot of uh, blood and treasure that has been spent for that flag. So, Dean Ladd, uh, 98 years old, oldest retired Marine living in the United States, was at the Battle of Guadalcanal, at the Battle of Tarawa, uh, Saipan, and Tinian. It has been an honor to get to to do this interview. Thank you so much, Dean Ladd. Well, thank you for having me, Tim. Absolutely. So, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you. Join us next time for the World War II Project and your host, the Emeritchick, Kim Munson. Until then, keep saluting the greatest generation.